I'm Daisy. And I'm Terry. And this is the Monday Monday Mindset Mindset Podcast, Podcast. where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 125. And this week, it's Daisy's turn to share something with us. Well, Terry, I am back with an old favorite, a very old favorite. I would ask you to guess, but you already know. I think if I did ask you to guess, you would probably know who I was going to talk about. It's my old favorite, Gretchen Rubin. I follow her on Facebook and some posts of late have been popping up. Just those handy little short and sweet memes or sort of little series of memes They're four habit strategies for her different tendencies. And it was painful because they would come out sort of one each week. And of course, I was waiting for mine and mine came last. So I was getting very, very frustrated. But I thought it would be kind of fun to have a quick revisit. You know, I always like talking about the four tendencies. So any old excuse, really. So I thought we would just go over them quickly and I've put them in order of what I remember anyway of being the most common to the least common. And for a very, very quick reminder, Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies are basically all about when we're trying to adopt new habits and how we go about that, how we respond to somebody trying to impose new rules upon us, whether those are internal or external. So rules we're trying to impose on ourselves, or rules that other people are trying to impose on us. How we respond to those is how she's built these tendencies and these structures. The more we know about them and when we identify ourselves as one of these tendencies or usually overlapping of more than one tendency, the better we know ourselves, the better we are equipped to get a grip with um, adopting new habits. It makes it a whole lot easier. As you know, we've talked about this numerous times. I found it really helpful getting to know which tendency I have. I sometimes find it endlessly amusing, but I definitely find it very interesting. And it's really helped me understand myself better and what will and more importantly, I suppose, will not work. And it also helps when you're, you know, with relationships with other people, understanding a bit what makes them tick will make you understand why, you know, you might bump up against each other sometimes. So just quickly to go over the four strategies, the most common, the one we're going to start with is an obliger. And remember, we're talking about internal, external accountability. And obligers respond very well to external accountability, but not internal. And then you've got the questioner, which I think is the second most popular Um, And they're, well, they basically question everything as the name implies. But once they get a grip on which rules they feel are appropriate, they can stick to them really well. In fact, I believe they can get a little bit militant about trying to make other people stick to them, which is kind of ironic, really. And then we get into the 
the least populated tendencies, if you like. There's the upholder, which, as the name implies, just upholds all the rules, really. It doesn't matter what kind of rules they are, whether they're internal, external, they're just going to stick to them. They are rule stickers. And then we've got the last one, which is the lowest percentile by numbers. And uh, you might hear by the tone of my voice, because it always makes me chuckle a little bit, I am most definitely a rebel. That's the last tendency. Although I'm I'm actually split, fairly 50-50 questioner rebel. I, I like to call myself a questioning rebel. And rebels just do the opposite of upholders. They don't want to, uh, they don't want to stick to any old rules, whether those are coming from other people or from themselves. And it's kind of amusing, but also very, very frustrating. <laughs> I imagine for other people and, um, and for ourselves as well, when we're trying to get ourselves to stick to new habits, it's very, very difficult. So without further ado, let's go to these, um, these new memes from Gretchen Rubin. And I will, I should be able to share them. I will probably share them to our social media so you can see them for yourselves. But the easiest way, of course, will be just to go and follow Gretchen Rubin and you will be able to find them there. So the first one, the obligers. I have a feeling you're an obliger crossover. Were you a questioner obliger crossover? I'm definitely an obliger and I'm not sure if my other would be questioner or rebel. Yes, I can't remember, actually. I have to go back to that episode and listen again. So these are four habit strategies for obligers. Number one, the strategy of accountability. Obligers need oversight, deadlines, and the involvement of accountability partners. They can often do something for someone else that they can't do for themselves. Her example is... Once my baby was born, I had to quit smoking. It's often easier to do it for somebody else, but when it, when it comes to yourself, it's a lot more difficult. Number two, the strategy of monitoring. Monitoring supports accountability, and the more obligers monitor their behavior, the more easily accountability will attach. And I assume this, this sort of gels with having an accountability partner. So, um, you know, you might check in with someone. I don't know if you were doing um, a weight loss boot camp is something that might appeal to an obliger. And you might have an accountability partner or an accountability coach that's running the group or somebody that you have to check in with, with, I don't know, your food diary or something every day. They really like that external accountability, but couldn't necessarily do it for themselves. Number three, the strategy of other people. Because of the weight imposed by outer expectations, obligers and the people around obligers must take careful note of the influence of other people for good or ill. So obligers, probably very easy to imagine another word that would be associated with obligers would be people pleasers. And what tends to happen with people pleasers, of course, is that they can get taken advantage of. And I seem to remember when I spoke about uh, them in the first place, they, they will, you know, they'll bend over backwards for other people. They really are people pleasers, put other people first until they don't. <laughs> they do have a snapping point. Number four, 
And that can come as a great surprise, of course, for the people who take advantage of the people pleasers. Uh, number four, strategy of treats. Because obligers may fall into obliger rebellion. Aha, there we go. <laughs> That's what I <laughs> yes, just mentioned. Yes, I might recognize this. <laughs> when they feel burned out or exploited, it's important that they get treats as a way to energize themselves. So I would imagine, because this is probably quite, um, you know, a recurring pattern that they probably do just get a bit taken advantage of. But I think you've also mentioned with different strategies for, with all the videos I edit from you, one of the things I can remember you talking about when you're trying to put new habits in place and you suggest sort of different approaches because everybody's different. But one of the things that you talk about is having, you know, little reward points for, for different, you know, it's that old gold star you get when you're a kid, isn't it? When you reach certain little goalposts that you get rewards. So this is, this is something that's going to appeal to an obliger. Onwards to the questioners. Now, I'm, like I say, it's a real toss up with me whether I'm a questioner or a rebel. I think I come down just on the side of rebel, but I've got a lot of questioning, questioner tendencies. The strategy of clarity. Questioners want to know exactly what they're doing and why. <laughs> you're probably, yes, you are smirking. I just looked up to see if you're smirking. <laughs> Sound familiar? Oh, me? <laughs> they also must clearly see and trust the authority and expertise of the person asking them to meet that expectation. So as you can imagine, they will question it. They will question and they will question and they will be really rigorous. The good thing about a questioner is once you have their loyalty, they are real sticklers for those rules. They really can be. And number two, the strategy of monitoring. Questioners love of data means they enjoy self-monitoring. They might wear a device to track the number of steps they take, for example, use an app to track when they take their medication or chart what time they go to bed. So these are all suggestions, of course, for, for what's going to help you strategize putting new habits in place. Number three, the strategy of distinctions. Questioners love customization and can sometimes be convinced to try something as an experiment. Why don't you try this? You'll find out if it works for you. And if not, you can try something else. Well, that good old phrase that gets kicked around in our communities a lot has always appealed for me. You know, N equals one and find what works for you. That's the most important. That's, that's the side of keto and low carb and fasting and, and all these gaining back control of your health, all that side of it that's really appealed to me. Number four, uh-oh, the strategy of loophole spotting. Questioners may invoke loopholes to justify breaking a good habit. Definitely done this. I should exercise, but it's too cold outside. I'll do my workout inside. I have too much work and that takes precedence over exercise. 
there's always a good excuse. I found myself doing this a lot lately, actually, with swimming. I haven't been swimming nearly as much as I used to. And as much as I might enjoy something, sometimes I still, yeah, I'm very good at finding those little loopholes and justifications. And I guess because we're questioners and we always have to question something, we probably fall quite easily into that having to justify ourselves category too. So if we're going to break one of the rules that we've decided that we're quite happy with, we're going to have to have a good reason for it. That's me surmising here. On to the upholder. Now, this is a total alien concept to me, but I have to say my father's an upholder, so I do very much recognize the tendency. But strategies for upholders. The strategy of scheduling. Upholders love to keep a schedule, as you can imagine, and march through every item. They're going to love to-do lists and they're going to love ticking everything off by the end of the day. Whatever appears on the calendar gets done. Number two, strategy of clarity. When upholders know clearly what's expected, they can generally meet that expectation. Upholders can meet inner expectations, but only when those inner expectations are articulated. So they do need clearly defined rules. Number three, the strategy of monitoring. Upholders tend to love to-do lists with items to check off. I got ahead of myself there. Monitoring plays to this inclination. For example, I intend to walk 10,000 steps today. And look, my monitor says I hit that number. So I guess they like to have the proof that they've ticked that goal off their list. Number four, strategy of pairing. It's easy for upholders to enforce the pairing rule on themselves. If an upholder gets themselves to go to the gym by pairing, I can only shave on a day when I've gone to the gym. They won't have any trouble holding themselves to that pairing. So that's interesting. That's sort of the opposite of where we were before with trying to find loopholes and excuses, isn't it? And last but not least, the rebel. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. You're like this first one. Strategy of identity. You like talking about making something part of your identity. It helps with habit formation, but especially so with rebels. And I've definitely, definitely found this to be true of me. For rebels, the most effective habit change strategy is the strategy of identity. Because rebels place great value on being true to themselves, they can embrace a habit if they view it as a way to express their identity. It also, I would add to that, it also becomes, well, if it becomes part of your identity, if it becomes part of who you are and just what you do, it's not a habit that you need to adopt at all. It's just something that you do. So it's easier. I would also think with rebels... Partly they like identifying as being rebellious. And so I think, you know, let's, you and I talk so much about the food world and maybe healthcare. If I am someone who thinks the modern healthcare system 
is whacked and totally out of line, I might want to rebel against that by not needing to use it as much. And so really focus on changing some of my habits so that I don't have to use that system. So almost using the rebellious identity as a strength and link it to the goal. That's a very good point, actually. And I'm surprised I haven't thought more about that because it fits so well, again, with the the communities we're involved in and why I think there's quite a high percentage of rebels in our community. It's a natural thing that you come across because we tend to be rule breakers. So we're not afraid of bucking the system. We're not afraid of, yeah, well, I don't really care that my doctor said X, Y, and Z, you know, whereas uh, somebody like my mother will be very, well, my doctor said do this and this and this. So that's what I'm going to do. Wouldn't think of questioning it. Mm -hmm. So you can see why, you know, questioners and rebels are going to be, there are going to be quite a few of them. Because if you naturally question things, if you're not afraid to rebel against things, in fact, if it's your natural tendency to sort of automatically think that always makes me laugh about rebels is when you're talking about inner and outer expectations, they not only don't want to meet expectations, but their natural inclination is to want to do the opposite. (laughs) And I have felt this with myself. You know, if somebody gives me a direct expectation asks me, even worse, tells me to do something, my automatic instinct reflex is to just through my head is thinking, I I want to do the opposite of what you just said, just because (laughs) I might not, it might be the last thing I want to do. I might actually want to do what you suggested, but I just want, you know, my, my instinct is to do, is to do the opposite. And like I say, it always kind of makes me laugh because a, it's, it's kind of funny, but B, it's also just endlessly frustrating for everybody involved. Number two, the strategy of clarity. Uh, the strategy of clarity works well, works for rebels because it focuses on why a habit might have personal value for them. <laughs> Always when I, I, when I read about her talking about things like this, it's like, oh no, it makes me sound like I've got a huge ego and I'm a bit of a narcissist, which I'm always like worried about. Because, yeah, if it's all about me, it's fine. Uh, The more rebels think about what they want and why they want it, the more effectively they pursue it. (laughs) It's another reason why it quite often makes me chuckle because it doesn't cast us in a very good light, does it? But if you think about the opposite of that, that doesn't cast someone in a good light either because that means so needy or dependent. You know, we, we get those kind of labels on the opposite end. Oh, that's a needy person. They're too dependent. They're codependent versus they're self-assertive. They are, you know, advocate for themselves. That's true, I guess. Independent is something, is a tag I've always liked to try and associate with myself. Number three, strategy of convenience. Instead of trying to commit to scheduling a habit, rebels often do habit behaviors as soon as they feel like it. And this is definitely something I've noticed the little conversation that goes around in my head. I kind of have to make a suggestion of what would be sensible to do tomorrow, but see how you feel in the morning. 
you know, if you really don't feel like doing it, well, we'll do something else that's kind of, you know, on the list of things that need doing. I have to kind of leave it a little bit open. You know, sometimes there's something I absolutely have to do that day, but I like ideally to have a few things that are interchangeable that I can decide on the morning which one I'm going to go with. Thank you very much. Number four, the strategy of other people. The strategy of other people is also a useful strategy for rebels to consider. Rebels love doing things differently from other people. They do an obscure kind of yoga, run barefoot, exercise late at night. So that kind of, that falls into what we were saying before about sort of bucking the trends, going against what everyone else is doing, doing something different, I guess, just kind of for the sake of it. I, su- I suppose us rebels, like you say, we kind of like having it as part of identity. So sometimes maybe sort of feel the need to live up to that a little bit by mm-hmm. bucking the trend and doing something different. So yes, I guess things like... um you know, adopting habits like keto and fasting sit very well with us, actually, because it is seen as a little bit niche. In fact, it might even be a good reason why, you know, you find some people in the community getting getting a bit uncomfortable when it becomes a bit mainstream. Mm. We want to keep it all to ourselves. Thank you. But so, you know, these are things that we've talked about before. I think you can tell they're things that I like talking about, but I just thought these were nice little memes that might be nice to revisit. And I think just going back to something that we mentioned the other week about that big, the A word awareness, but having this self-awareness, really knowing yourself. And I think starting with that, it's, it's something that I talked about way back when, when I started and and yet to finish the Keto Curious series over on Keto Woman. But that's, you know, that's one of the places I suggest that people start, you know, get to know yourself. If you're an obliger, then, you know, a sort of boot camp style, getting accountability from a group or something, you know, going into uh, one of the Facebook groups that you like being in and, and finding an accountability partner or saying, to, you know, to everyone, announcing to everyone that, I, you know, I'm going to come in and hold myself accountable. I'm going to post what I've eaten every day or something to the group, something like that. That's the kind of thing that's really going to appeal to you. It's really going to motivate you. It's really going to keep you going is to drive you. If you're a rebel, hell no, stay away from things like that because you're just going to rail against it and want to do the opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to want to do it. If you feel like somebody's looking over your shoulder and is going to be questioning you about it, yeah, it's not going to be a good fit for you. So it's no good trying to fit yourself into what has worked really well for somebody else without knowing why it's worked for them and who they are and seeing if that could also work for you, but it's only going to work for you, you know, if you if you have the same approach. And I think also with, with the way we, we often cover a very similar topic over and over again, but from different directions, finding different speakers on the subject, but, you know, we'll, we'll often be talking about the same thing, but coming from different angles. And I think 
this is one of the reasons why we do it because one of those is going to gel with you that's you out there listening you know is going to gel with with one of you and not with somebody else and then another week we'll be talking about the same subject but somebody will be approaching it from a slightly different direction and that will be the the time that it resonates with you and the time that something in your brain goes aha yes that makes sense I'm going to try that the timing's got to be right and the person talking about it's got to be right and the way that information is given to you has got to be right so, yes, I thought it just fit quite well into mm-hmm. what we do as well. I also think, and I, I don't have a great way to describe this yet, but the idea that we've talked about this, but any one of these theories of personality or types is always a bit reductionistic. Mm. It's like, oh, you fit in one of these four categories. Well, there's a whole bunch of obligers who need something very different. Yeah. So, for example, the um, self-monitoring or the monitoring strategy, I think, came up in a number of these. Well, it's like, well, how can the same strategy work for different types? Well, because a different part of that strategy or it appeals to them for a different reason. Mm. So, for example, I'm pretty sure I'm mostly obliger, but I guarantee you I do not always do things that other people want me to do. And (laughs) again, much to their chagrin. But I think then, if you look at a multi-dimensional way of understanding ourselves, so let's say I'm an obliger, but if you look at the Myers-Briggs, a type indicator for different things, the last one on that is whether you're a J or a P. And Js are very structured and organized and planned, and Ps are very do what you want. I don't even notice that things are chaotic, you know. Well, if I'm an obliger who is a J, certain strategies may apply better to me mm-hmm. versus if I'm an obliger who is a P on the Myers-Briggs, mm. I'm not going to do well with a checklist. Whereas a J who has my obliging tendencies may do well with that. So also recognizing when you learn about one of these theories that we are not just one dimensional. And then if you start to bring in some other theories that make sense for understanding yourself and see how those fit together. Some people like to use the Enneagrams. I don't know the system well enough to talk about it. Some people like to use astrology. But to be able to say, oh, I'm an obliger who's a Pisces. Okay, no Mm. wonder that strategy doesn't fit really well for me, but I can look at it this way or... I can utilize this other strategy more. So I think it's great to have these, obviously, these concepts and these memes like you just described, just kind of lay it out. Here are generally the strategies that can help people Mm. in this group. So much to start. But it is going to be dependent on your other dimensions of personality. So it's, it's fascinating to me once I start listening, because at first I'm like, no, that doesn't work for me. So that must be wrong. And then I think, oh, but you could get a whole handful of obligers together and we score differently in a different concept realm Mm -hmm. and act differently. Yes, that's right. And we've spoken about that before, haven't we? When you hear somebody talking about something that's 
that's really quite specific and you really think, yeah, that sounds amazing. But then you find a little bit of it that, and this is where the, the questioner in, in me always comes up where I'm, I'm sort of listening to something. I think that's really amazing. And then I go off and my, you know, my, my questioner just goes mad and starts doing a load of research and finds something that finds that little chink in the armor. And then it sort of makes me question everything and it sort of all falls apart but it doesn't have to like you say you can you can take something I think the important thing is that just something about it resonates with you and you find it interesting and you find it it's a way in to start just becoming a bit more aware of who you are and and how you tick especially you know if you're trying to make changes that's when it's just really important and let's face it we're always trying to make changes of some kind whether it's Mm -hmm. trying to stop doing things we don't want to do or start doing things we feel that we want to or we've always wanted to or we need to or whatever and you just can't do that without getting to grips with figuring out who you are so whichever one you find interesting yeah that's your start that's your way in but it's not the end Mm -hmm. like you say you find some things that really useful about it and then and then you go down the rabbit hole and find other things and like you were saying with with these different theories and lay one over each other and find the subset that's that's for you because we are also completely different we're never gonna Mm. fit neatly all in the same place we each have our own unique little subset sure kind of like what you said when you talk about the rebel tendency I relate to some of it, but I think in general, I'm not a rebel. That's not generally my approach. But what you said, I hate it when someone tells me what I should do, especially if I already think I know how to do that task or that thing. If it is something totally unknown to me, fixing something on my car that I have no knowledge of. If I asked you, you have good car knowledge and you said, oh, you need to undo this and put this here. I'd be like, okay, let me go do that. (laughs) But if it's something I already think I know how to do and you say, Terry, you need to do this. I am going to fold my arms across (laughs) my chest and say, oh no, I'm not. And I will do something else. But what I've learned recently more about myself is if I see that my doing the habit or not doing the habit is having a negative impact on someone I care about, That is more motivating to me than if someone tells me to do it. Mm -hmm. So when I see, oh, the fact that I don't do this makes someone else anxious. You know, I don't want to be that trigger for anxiety. Let me work on this. But if they just tell me I should do it, no. Mm. So even within your own kind of subcategories, finding out the nuances for you. Yeah. It's a fascinating topic to me. I was going to say, I the same. It's really, really endlessly interesting. <laughs> so there you go. Something that I thought would be a really quick episode, I might have known, would, would end up on me rambling on about Gretchen Rubin and tendencies and all those kind of things. <laughs> it's a subject I like. And I would not be surprised if Gretchen Rubin circles back through again at some point. Yeah, definitely we'll be back again. (laughs) Very good, Daisy. Well, thank you so much for sharing this. I hope everyone has a great week and we'll be back soon. Have a wonderful week. 
This week, it's Daisy's turn to share something with us. Daisy, what do you have? <clears throat> a rising bell. Gas. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I have for you, Terry. Short and sweet and ungainly. <laughs> <laughs> 